it's kind of crazy. I didn't realize how much it sapped my energy. Like I'll still be, I'll be able to record, but I'm just like at this time of the day, I usually have like maybe half more energy than I do right now. And I know it's just because of the fucking sun. Man, you need to start getting your body acclimated and adapted ASAP because it's yeah. only going to get hotter. I, what know. the UN said, this is the July has been the hottest month in, on, in, on record in human history. Oh God, I'll kill like, myself. <laughs> I fucking kill myself. This, that's insane. Yeah, do I just have to spend all my time outside now so I can get used to the heat? <laughs> I just have to sunbathe in my yard now. <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know if that maybe it works that way you just need to absorb enough like solar radiation so you mm-hmm. become the human torch you know yeah yeah get, get them <laughs> cosmic rays and that'll that'll protect you right okay i'm like googling how to get used to hotter temperatures <laughs> <laughs> googling oh how to survive climate catastrophe <laughs> how to survive killer heat <laughs> turn down the air conditioner no thanks prepare yourself <laughs> mentally oh my god being active in the heat these are all so drink plenty of water spend more time outside oh, yeah i am buddy <laughs> that's the problem <laughs> Oh <laughs> I like that uh, Google is like they're giving you all this information that's just meant to to kill you. <laughs> you yeah. know, just like yeah. Google, how do I get used to hotter heat? How do I survive killer heat? I don't know. Have you tried spending more time outside? How about in direct sunlight? Drink less water. Your body becomes weaker the more water you drink. You become addicted to it. <laughs> yeah, wear lighter clothing and eat more food and drink more water. Wow, didn't think of that. Really, that's actually what I was missing. Not eating and drinking water and staying hydrated before I went outside in the fucking sweltering heat. Try drinking like a like replace all your water intake with hot coffee. Oh yeah! Oh my god! Not the devil juice. <laughs> I am so good. Y'all can have that. <laughs> uh, well, you might be proven to be correct in the future um, global communist uh, empire where there no no coffee, no bananas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I will be the banana commissar. Let me tell you guys that. I took notes on every motherfucker who started crying about how I'm, they don't want to be a socialist if they don't have bananas 24-7. I'm going to... You're, you're getting re-educated first, folks. <laughs> In response to that, Matt Christman on, uh, on, on Chapa, I think, had the actual correct response, which is that, like, it doesn't actually fucking matter because there's not going to be bananas in the near future uh, no. because of climate change. And you can thank capitalism for that, not communism or socialism no. or no. whatever, right? Like, like no. it's you don't you don't get to keep capitalism and bananas. You will still not have bananas, coffee, or other forms of global trade uh, no. in the in the very near future because not because of socialism or authoritarian communism, but because of good old fashioned. Uh, capitalism and imperialism. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean, that whole discourse was so frustrating. Did, have we talked about this on the pod yet? No, no we, we haven't. haven't. <laughs> oh my god, man! I, I'm like, so I'm trying to work on an essay. Well, well, and doing a lot of research and talking to some people because I am interested in the anti anti degrowth position, where I'm not, I'm not anti-degrowth but i am against a lot of the arguments that people throw against degrowth because they also remind me of arguments that people throw against luddism and 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 also of like abolition of tech and this idea that if you, once you make something it's here forever we can't roll it back we can't limit it we can't restructure people's relations to it but the banana thing just kind of drove me insane because i thought this would be such an incontroversial uncontroversial idea um you know, given that we have such a beautiful phrase in our language like banana republic, 
<laughs> you know, people given. think that's just a, a yuppie store in the mall. Like, I, I don't do think people, people really actually people. know what Banana Republic is, or or if they have some inkling that like the United Fruit Company or a Chiquita are a fucking like uh, authoritarian, uh, brutal yeah. dictatorships in yeah. Latin America. Like, they if they if they've heard any inkling of that, they have filed it away as a not my problem situation. It's just it's it's. One of the things that kind of baffled me about, like, you know, we, if you listen to this pod, you probably agree with the basic idea that there are lots of things that would be nice to have for different types, for different groups of people, for different reasons, and that you should apply some basic scrutiny to not to just say whether or not we should have the thing in maximal amount, but what are the consequences of having the thing in maximal amount, right? And when it comes to certain types of foodstuffs, there are real consequences, that we should talk about or think through or explore to having various foodstuffs on demand 24 seven, right. That have influences on, you know, what certain countries are exporting that have influences on how our food system is structured, you know, how we transport food, how we uh, consume it, you know, how much we waste. Right. And that socialist abundance does not have to mean the levels we have at capitalism and more it can mean less by figuring out what people actually like want. Like we put like one of the numbers that was flying around, we produce like we produce enough bananas or enough bananas are brought into this country that you could give every American pounds and pounds and pounds. Does anyone that I know that, you know, that listens to this podcast, eat pounds of bananas. No, uh, in fact, m- most people I know who eat bananas throw away half the bananas yeah. they buy yeah. because they're like, eh, it's got a brown spot on it. You know, and that's just so if you're throwing away them, if you're throwing them away in your own home, thinking about working backwards, we can work backwards on scale and think about what sort of how much are they being wasted? How much are being over provided for what kind of, uh, you know, what, what kind of limits or, uh, does that impose on the food system and the places where we get food, where they need to keep fresh, um, food crops that are getting wasted at huge levels in the store, in transit on the crop and in your home. Right. You know, so just on a basic, if for all the people who are like insisting on efficiency in food production, would lead to huger and better gains in the harvest. And so we'd have even more bananas, you know, similar to what we say in almost every episode of this podcast, maybe the problem is not that we need even more of the thing to allocate, but that the system that we have that's allocating is leaky as fuck. It's faulty as fuck. And by disrupting it, we will discover maybe other interests. Like maybe, um, maybe we don't like bananas that much or, we wouldn't like them if there were other things at play or, you know, and this is something that I, I want to hammer home more concretely, I guess in the essay, maybe we should just have, maybe it's like, okay to have limits on things that we do um, as part of a sort of give and take for achieving abundance elsewhere. Like, you know, I think a lot about the, example and dawn of everything the, of the political structures and social structures that were seasonal right and waxing and waning based on the orientation of the society based on the seasons based on you know what kind of animals were in migration or around what kind, types of foods and stuff could be forged or raised and what type of rituals were being done right and you know we don't have to burn everything down in return but there is something to think about with this idea that maybe the limits that we impose can be in service of something instead of thought of as arbitrary limits, right? Like when we propose limits on certain types of technology, it's not, you know, as we, we everyone knows by now, it's not just because in of itself we hate technology, but there's sometimes, there's some developments that are, we need to foreclose possibility of, of, of growth or expansion or, or of innovation on because they lead to a certain place we don't want to go economically, socially, or politically, and, you know, it may be the case that we can't have everything we want all the time every day, you know, but I just, you know, reading that, I know it's three weeks later and I'm like parsing some <laughs> Twitter discourse, but it's three weeks later. And I'm just kind of surprised 
you know, because I've been rereading a lot of the arguments and threads, kind of like taking, looking at interesting points, looking at authors and, and scholars who come through and start arguing and economists and, and people who work in agriculture industry. And it is, it is really interesting how many people are talking past each other, ignoring basic points that were made or arguments that were made or assertions that were made or the root of the idea that maybe we don't have 24 seven daily banana access, which was like rooted in, in, you know, radical workers and farmer workers in the countries that export bananas being like, maybe we reorient our economy around something else. Right. Maybe we have a different relationship with the West. Maybe we have a different relationship with the land and of ourselves. And that will have knockdown effects for everyone else. And maybe it's not just like, we have to organize every single part of the global trade system. Like there's a, you know, like there is like a central committee, a central technocratic committee trying to figure out what the optimal amount of bananas is for everybody or any food stuff. But I, 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 I think you've nailed it. And I think bringing up Dawn of everything is actually really gets at a core issue here, which is that like, um, I don't think it's, I mean, in some ways, yes, it is just the vulgar, like, I want my bananas and I want them now and abundantly and cheaply and all year round and stuff. But like, that's not the real issue. The real issue is more that like, uh, we, we have been like inculcated to being um, very good capitalist subjects, right? Which means that we we you know embody and embed uh, capitalism into everything that we do, whether we know it or not. And a lot of that is like, you know, in return for being like brutally exploited, um, oppressed, uh, denied basic human rights and necessities, uh, you get in return. Um, abundant uh, conveniences, like really minor conveniences around like getting bananas at Kroger's um, in Ohio or whatever, like any time of the day or any time of the year, right? Which is like a really absurd thing on its fa- fact and like like requires a, 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 a level of like hyper infrastructure and super logistics to make happen in addition to all of the brutal authoritarian banana republics and stuff. And it's like, but it's like that's what you get, right? You get like that. You get that. That even just the promise of convenience and personalization and in individual consumption happens, and then that becomes uh, the the thing that you because that's all that you have in your life. You grab onto it with dear life, and you're like, no one's gonna pry this out of my fucking hands because it's all I have to live for is going to Safeway and getting a banana for ten cents anytime I want it, right? Like, um, I have nothing else, and like, no, I have no wealth, I have no rights, I have no access to services um, other than the cheap convenience of uh, consumption. Uh, of minor consumption, right? Like not luxury consumption, uh, just minor consumption. And with that, though, also becomes like, you know, because capitalism is a system that is based on domination and supremacy. Uh, and, and like nature is something that must be dominated and we must be superior over it. Other populations outside of us must be dominated and we must exert our supremacy, right? Like that's what all this is. This is, this is also, we, uh, we've talked about like climate change and this is why there's been so little attention or funding or resources or even just taking seriously of the idea of like, adaptation to climate change how do we how do we live differently in a system that is radically changing right like or how do we radically change ourselves so as to change that system for the good for our own good right we we don't do any of that because radically changing the way that we live not just bananas but now we're talking about fossil fuels and everything else, you know, climate capital stuff we talked about in the previous episode, you know, that, that requires being like, well, maybe I'm not the superior. Maybe there are like things outside me that are actually like more powerful uh, and, and superior to me. Um, Well, I can't accept that. So throw that one out the window. Mitigation. uh, No, (laughs) hell no. Um, Adaptation that requires having something like 
that you live in like harmony with uh, environmental, ecological, and social systems, right? That's what you're talking about with like dawn of everything, right? Like having seasonal lifestyles because the planet has seasons. It makes sense that we would, as our environment, as our material conditions and ecological uh, systems change, we would change with them. And they change in ways that are, you know, pretty predictable. And so we would know that they're coming. It wouldn't be a surprise. And we would change the way we live accordingly, right? Like, um, that is the way people lived because they had to do that if they wanted to survive until very recently. Capitalism, though, has given us a a, a political economic system, a technological system, a cultural system that is like, fuck that. I am the dominator. I am supreme. I don't change for things. Things change for me, Ed. The 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 climate changes for me. If I want bananas, I Jathan gets bananas. <laughs> you know, like that's what I think it it is. And it's not as if I like I think most people have this view. Although I do think a lot of people have that view, um, and you see it come out in really ugly ways, especially in hierarchical situations like uh, at like service you know, employees, right? Retail, restaurants, um, things like that, where people do act absolutely insane because they are on a hierarchy to the people serving them. But I don't think most people actually think about like, their relationship to uh, everyday consumption as one of domination and supremacy. But that's the beauty of, uh, of, a, of a hegemonic ideology. You don't have to willingly and, and explicitly have it and enact it in your everyday life. It is just the way that you see the world and just the way that you behave accordingly, right? And, and, and when you are challenged on that notion, it throws you into like a, a, a kind of a, a, a contradictory headspin, right? Where you're like, you know, if you want to be the person who's like, uh, I am all for, you know, equal, like good leftist values of equality, smashing hierarchy, uh, anti-capitalism, like, you know, access to universal, like, you know, I'm all for that stuff, but also I am, I think that degrowth is a, a, a dangerous ideology because it means I don't get bananas. Like, you know, that's a, I think that forces you to face a contradiction of like, you, you are at once rejecting, but deeply embedded with, um, domination and supremacy in your everyday life and your everyday view of consumption and your social relations with um, things and people, people as things, right? Like, uh, I, I mean, I think that's the real, like, the bigger core issue here with with a lot of this. And it's why it's also exactly right with, like, you know, why, like, Luddism and degrowth are for a reason, often linked together, but also often dismissed for the exact same vulgar reasons of like, one, not understanding what they actually mean or what they're arguing or where their analysis is based in. Um, but two, just equating them with uh, like a form of like unabomber primitivism, right? Like a complete and total rejection of modern society, industrialization, that like, if you're for degrowth, then that means you want to live in chaos. Caves, right and same with like luddism and and uh it, it's 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 a real it's a way to not confront uh the contradictions um that might be within you or it's a way to dismiss counter arguments to what you actually believe which is that i am the dominator i am supreme and my everyday consumption habits take uh precedent over everything and everybody else in in the in the planet um and and i will i will believe that and i will act on that until the day that the the rising seas take me away and boil me alive right like that's i i feel like that's what it really is you know this it kind of reminds me you know there's this essay I was reading by uh, Lee or Lahai, Lee Phillips. He's a guy who wrote People's Republic of Walmart. You know, has read in really good um, 
stuff over the years about economic planning, coordination, uh, you know, markets, what socialists could do to adopt them. But I, you know, you know, as I've been listening and kind of, you know, spurred by this interview that Morisov did on Future Histories podcast, where he's talking about how um, the goal of the left with regards to technology should not just be allocating res- uh, raincoats, right? But trying to figure out, you know, as, as I think I probably said a few times in this pod, because I'm really obsessed with this idea, trying to figure out what can we offer people that goes beyond basic wants and needs and speaks to a, spe- a deeper purpose in the way that capitalists believe markets do. Capitalists believe that markets are a way for you to forge your identity, yourself, your purpose, and greater structures beyond yourself. What the left has to do is try to, in one way or another, figure out to construct some sort of institution that leverages technology to do that because we're not going to beat people on the question of proving the markets are inefficient ways to allocate resources because they don't really care about that. They're not concerned about resource allocation. In fact, they think there's probably some virtue, some in, some uh, you know some nobler outcome that comes from there not being adequate resource allocation. Since then, you have to go to the marketplace to discover yourself, right? Um, and and you know this there's this argument that Lee wrote uh, the other day, and it's a tongue in cheek argument, but there are threads of it he's using to make other points. And it's basically like, should we ban private jets or should we? Should we should we adopt a policy structure that bans them permanently, or that works towards providing them for everybody? Right, and the argument essentially comes down to banning them outright would then allow the wealthy to find some other good that's inaccessible to the public and park their money there, and then that would be the new symbol of inequality. And also, banning them would prevent the allocation of capital to drive down the cost of private jets and technologies that would make them cleaner and public goods and services or, or just like, you know, socially useful practices that use them. Organ transplants being one of the main persuasive examples he provides, right? That advances in private jet technology are also advances that will trickle down to organ transplants, even though as he concedes, there are a minority, there are a minority of current trips the idea is that if we advanced the technology enough and made it ubiquitous, they could occupy a larger frame. And you could also have people have personal private jets, right? But I think and, – and, and then he also says like we shouldn't abhor private modes of transportation because we already accept some of them and view them as part of the socialist anti-car vision, bikes, and skateboards as an example, right? I think that a lot of the argument hits some of these rhetorical points that make sense, but I find myself like – recoiling from it because i think like as he as he kind of says here his idea here is you know we want to make everybody a lord not a peasant we want to you know cheapen luxury goods and transform them into um you know mass consumer items we want to um have technology that meets the needs of humans as they grow with technological progress we want you know electricity refrigerators washing machines and other technologies have passed from what we're luxury wants to essential needs for everybody in the global north and most rightly think it is a grave injustice that there are so many millions in the global south that still do not have access to them meanwhile by any strict definition of the biological needs of human food water oxygen and shelter even prisoners have their needs met but humans are so much more than biological so the distinction between wants and needs is a false one there's only a prioritization and that we need to continue with our critique of markets saying that they prioritize profit instead of democratically decided goals and instead we need to make prioritization better instead of limiting technological advance but i mean like you know another way to frame that is to just ask like you know would we buy this argument for cars you know i think like cars in of themselves sit at the nexus of a lot of really interesting and important technologies that have huge ancillary benefits for other parts of society. But what has been, what has been required to provide everyone with a car or what has been done to provide everyone with a car and what has, what form has the city been you know taken as a result and how has the form of the city affected the way that we relate to each other and what kind, what kind of political processes have emerged out of this new reformation of the city, right? So there are all these knockdown effects that I feel like 
if we would apply this to the car, would not survive the scrutiny. And we would, we would pull away and say, no, not private cars for all, right? Uh, and, and in fact, even if, even if you're going off this prioritization argument and saying we're turning a luxury good into a mass consumer item, it comes with all these externalities that one day that, that are not going to suddenly disappear suddenly because one day things are going to be so fucked that you're going to have to need a car to get to work and need a car to go to the grocery store and need a car to go on vacations or need a car to go to the doctor's appointment or need a car to do anything, right? That doesn't wipe away all the other costs that have emerged. And I think similarly with private jets, I mean, we don't have cities where it would be practical, you know, to be flying around in the private jet short range, right? But you could imagine some sort of like, you can, you can, I've never even said this word out loud, but I, it immediately popped in my head. It's like a Yucamapolis, a giant city, right? Full of arcologies, right? It's a sci-fi um, word. And if you know it in the, and you're listening, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the vision it conjures up. But I, it came to mind because of the sci-fi kind of premise that's operating here, right? You could imagine some city skyscrapers towering in the sky at multiple levels up and down private jets taking you to and from locations faster than um you know anything else would any than a car than some form of mass transit you know what would be what would that city look like what you know what kind of things would emerge out of that city what kind of limits would emerge on that city how do people relate to each other right you know i think that there's this weird I think this is more of the raincoat allocation thing, right? Where, you know, I think we have to try to, we have to figure out what deeper thing do we want to, he's right, you know, like there are more to people than their wants and needs and their biological wants and needs. What are we going to provide to people with technology that goes deeper than just more, than truly just turning luxury goods into mass consumer items, right? Because are we not supposed to be breaking consumerism? Are we not supposed to be breaking the propaganda about growth and the, you know being necessary for, or uh, growth and abundance and more things being necessary for like a rising tide of human wants and needs and desires? Like, are we not supposed to be figuring out what the alternative modernity for socialists and communists are going to look for if we're going to have a radical break? from all the things that drive capitalism. And I just don't see, I don't understand how insisting that we should all be lords and, and, and not turning the lords into peasants, but turning your peasants into lords. I don't see how this, I don't see how, you know, transforming luxury, you know, goods into you know, mass consumer items or prioritization um, being corrected is doing what I think that task is, right? Like if you're going to concede as he does, or if you're going to insist as he does, that most human beings on this planet in the global north, at least have their basic needs met. Um, and it's their desires that are more fickle. Then I feel like a deeper, more ambitious and more worthy project would be like figuring out what, you know, what kind of system can we create where there's a prioritization on things other than getting everywhere fast, consuming everything when you want it and when you need it, having everything on demand as whenever possible and try to either slow down the pace of life's, life or deep in the relations with you know and connections that you have in it so there's not this drive and desire for constant um and this propaganda about constant need evolution of your needs uh outpacing the ability of of tech to you know find some good to produce for you or some service to provide for you i don't know i just it just it just it, it just feels like the mar- the sort of market-based socialism or, or in the same family as the market-based socialism that feels like a trap, like this trap that you know we've been talking about where the idea is that we can win the war on ideas if we show markets are inefficient. And once we show markets are inefficient, then we take control of social coordination infrastructure so that we can find out real signals of value um, and then when we do that, we'll be able to be more efficient. We'll be able to optimize allocation of certain things. We'll be able to, you know, ensure that inputs are going where they're supposed to be and produce even more because there'll be less waste, less corruption, less exploitation, um, um, more machines, you know, less capital intensive uh, processes going on and, and that everything will be running smoothly, right? I feel like that feels like an almost theocratic or dogmatic step from Marx's 
you know, study of how productive forces are developing and how like, yeah, the capitalism has created this really amazing productive engine that would be a part of socialism. But I don't like, you know, I'm not convinced that we need to keep building on and on for onto it perpetually until the end of history. And that it is okay to put some limits on it because we recognize like at this phase of history or for to maintain this boundary of politics or social relations, we shouldn't go here or there or elsewhere. Right. I think like it is okay to put limits on things and you can still have near infinite choice. I mean, humans are creatures where our biology is strictly limited and yet there's, you know, infinite possibility among the humans, whether it's from, physical appearance or whether it's from personality or whether it's from the language in of itself. Right. So the idea that limits in of themselves are anathema and anti-socialist feels strange to me. I feel like the limits are the things that will allow us to stop ourselves from falling from the trap. The capitalists are waiting to pull us into, or that capitalism keeps Mm -hmm. falling into itself. Right. So so much packed in there, and you are exactly right to feel uneasy by this uh, uh, argument by Lee Phillips because it's a, uh, I, I it, it's an it's an uneasy argument to make because I think it's 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 wrong in a lot of ways. I think it's also deeply unserious in a lot of ways as well. Um, but it is also falls into uh, your classic traps uh, of your know, of of forms of socialism that want to that see themselves as being able to do capitalism better than the capitalist. It's exactly one of the major things that contributed to the uh, the the rise, degradation, and collapse of of the Soviet Union. It's something that Lenin fell into because with his obsession uh, and interest over like um, Taylorism, right, thinking that you can do scientific management, um, but for like in a in a in a good way, in a in a worker friendly way, right? It's exactly something that uh, you know we talk about Ev- you know, Evgeny's Santiago boys, and we heard about this in Allende's government as well. You know that wanting to because a lot of these people were engineers like fernando flores uh or you know man engineering management consultants like stafford beer who wanted to also take ideas of of taylorism and apply them to factories but try to do so in a way that was like participatory with the workers right and the workers were like no like we don't trust that this system will work in our favor at the end of the day uh, i think that what leaf Lee's argument that you've outlined here, it falls into that trap very explicitly because if so, you know, we know him for having co-written the People's Republic of Walmart, which I think is also a really uh, deeply flawed book. But it also makes a lot more sense if we understand the book that he wrote before the People's Republic of Walmart, yeah, right? Yeah, which is called yeah. Austerity, Ecology, and the Collapse Porn Addicts, a defense of growth, progress, industry, and stuff, yeah, right? And it true. is absolutely yeah. this idea that the capitalists are doing capitalism really bad you know who can do capitalism really good the socialist you know and and it's it's absurd you are instead of uh uh, instead of seeing the contradictions within capitalism and saying we must overcome them and replace them with something new you are bizarrely arguing that the socialists can resolve the contradictions of capitalism to keep the basic function, the the machine running, but running differently. And he uses this. This is the last line of the, the summary for austerity ecology. We want to take over the machine and run it rationally, not turn the machine off. You know, and, and I think that's that embodies a lot of this mistake here. It's this idea that you have this uh, this system designed for optimizing efficiently, uh, you know, uh, uh, profit a- extraction, right? Which means that, like, it's it's a it's designed to optimize the exploitation of human labor, to cut costs, to move things quickly, to externalize externalities rather than internalize them, right? You you have a system designed to do things for capital by capital why would you think that that there's no there's no big switch 
in the factory. There's no big switch on the machine, whatever that machine might be, whether it's Amazon and Walmart's logistics system or it's the private plane production facility, whatever. There's no big switch that has been turned on capitalism this whole time and no one thought to turn it down to communism or socialism, right? And you know, I, I use that metaphor often because it is the way these people think and, and argue their cases is that essentially the machine is fine. The problem is the way the machine is operated. But we know from Langdon Winner um, and, and our, our book club on autonomous technology that machines are built with with politics and social relations uh, baked into them, right? They are built with specific uh, ideas and visions of the world, specific values and goals. Um, And, you know, the, the... the priorities and preferences of, of specific groups of people or specific ideologies or imperatives that uh, you know take over um, and are supersede that supersede the priorities and preferences of other groups of people or ideologies or imperatives, right? Like the the idea is also it it, it has baked into it as well. This like eco-modernism idea that Lee Phillips at, at, at her. Uh, you know, is pushing forward or, or this idea of a like of a, a, a socialism, a capitalism by socialist um, is how I think we should think about it. Right. Like that's what it is. It has baked into it this idea that there's one way to do things um, or if a machine is already built well then hey a logistics machine is a logistics machine is a logistics machine if it's already built you might as well just seize control over it uh and run it rationally unlike those irrational capitalists you know rather than thinking maybe machines are built for specific purposes that do really specific things in really specific ways and maybe those purposes things and ways are not the things that ways and purposes we should be uh adhering or or chaining ourselves to right that we should be promoting maybe actually it requires a very different type of machine a very different social relation a very different political system very different idea of what the economy is you know and it's one that is not just simply taking what's already laying around and being a better manager of it which is what the that's the idea here is it's this idea that like Capitalism is a bad management or, or bad man. Capitalists are bad managers of capital. You know who would be really good managers of capital? Socialists. <laughs> you know? It's a, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's absurd on its face when you frame it in that way. But that is exactly the argument that they're making. It is also baked into it, this idea that we should make the peasants into lords. I hate that. It's a snappy turn of phrase, but it's wrong. We need to abolish the lords and the peasants, right? Like, we, you, you have to escape the bourgeois trap that the problems of society can be fixed if we all become like the bourgeoisie. That is it's also inherently contradictory because we all literally cannot become the bourgeoisie, right? Because the the bourgeoisie is a class relation premised on its antagonism to uh, a different class, the proletariat class, right? Like if you take everybody from the one class and you know the proletariat and put them into another class, the bourgeoisie, then it then then those those distinctions start not meaning anything at all to to say that like as well that well you know to frame it in terms of consumption again which is what we've been talking about like to frame this in terms of consumption at thinking that you that everybody should have consumption habits on par with um the most luxury, the most present day, uh, luxurious, high end consumption habits, which essentially, I mean, one, it's completely and totally unsustainable. It's not a problem of efficiency in production. We overproduce stuff 
all, all like you you mentioned right like there pounds and pounds and pounds of bananas per capita are imported into the u.s every day this is also something we know about like um that f- hunger is not a production problem it's a distribution problem that that capitalism has baked into it as well a core contradiction of overproduction it's constantly overproducing stuff which is also what imperialism is imperialism is not just going and finding places to extract resources and labor imperialism is also about finding markets to dump the overproduction of commodities into them right and so that that is the kind of like the trickle down wealth of capitalism is is the uh, imperialist dumping of overproduced commodities, right? Um, this is why, you know, every time there's like, uh, you know, a Super Bowl or NBA championship or something like that, you know, both teams have massive amounts of merch already produced and ready to go, uh, you know, uh, you know for, for them being the winner. Well, the losing team's merch, that's worthless. Nobody wants it. So the, it famously always gets sent, you know, in like big donation boxes to uh, like Africa or Southeast Asia, right? That's classic dumping commodities, you know, um, that has been happening for like, that's just one example um, that I think people can maybe latch on to. But the, but my, my point here is that these things are not production problems. They're, they are distribution problems, but they are also uh, problems. They are production problems, not in the sense of manufacturing, but production problems in the sense of what is manufactured, not how much is manufactured, but what is manufactured. And so we, we, we know, and we've known this you know, there's been studies on this for a very long time that if you were to take the average consumption habits of a, of a, of a like middle class American and export that and get to every single person in the world, you no longer have a planet, right? The, the world is consumed, literally consumed, um, almost immediately. The planet cannot con- sustain that level of consumption habits. And so, if we think that the problem is taking all the peasants and turning them into lords, in a global sense, an American middle class is a lord among lords, right? So is that what you mean? Well, that becomes a huge problem because American middle class consumption is extremely wasteful and profligate. Well, okay, let's bump that up higher. If you think the problem is we need to turn the peasants into lords, and by lords you mean Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or Carl Icahn or whoever, right? And then everybody needs to meet meet those consumption habits, which is what Lee is arguing by saying that like everybody should have private jets or that should be the goal or whatever. Then, then you not only have a planetary problem, you have a solar system problem in terms of the the level of extraction and exploitation and resources that that requires, right? It's absurd on its face because it does not take seriously the idea that there is a different type of society out there which is not somehow capitalist or somehow bourgeoisie uh, in in its function and form, right? It does not take seriously the idea that that degrowth is not merely a negative or Luddism is not merely a negative in terms of saying there is a linear trajectory of progress and industry and stuff. Uh, and, and, and you either move one to the right, which means increasing growth, progress, industry and stuff, as Lee's uh, subtitle puts it. Or you move to the left on that linear development, which means decreasing growth, progress, industry, and stuff. It's a, it's a linear idea of the trajectory of human civilization, technology, and so on, where you can either move forward to the right, uh, or you can move backward to the left, rather than understanding that no, what we don't, what we need are totally different ideas of what it means to have societies, relationships, technologies, innovations, political systems, and all of that stuff that escape the bounds of capitalism and bourgeois ideology, right? Like that, that look 
different, that do different stuff, that are built in different ways for different reasons. You know, a socialist or communist or anarchist innovation is not just tweaking around the edges or managing better capitalist innovation. It's a different type of innovation. It's built in different ways with different politics and and so on, right? And and it's a paucity of imagination that is on to to not recognize that, to not be able to imagine that, to not even have that in your mind as an abstract possibility, let alone, let alone like a concrete reality, right? It's a it's a poverty of thought, uh, which is sadly bound, shackled by capitalism and by this idea that you can do capitalism better because capitalism is the only thing you can imagine. And so the only place you can imagine uh, for, for, for a better society is you doing capitalism better than the capitalists are doing it, right? And it's like, no, I don't want any of that. I don't want capitalism. I don't want lords. I don't want peasants. I don't want none of that fucking bullshit. I want something different. We need something different, radically different, that's premised on abolishing those social relations built around capital and in their place, creating brand new social relations, which bear the fruit of very radically different types of innovations and social relations and functions and forms of society uh, than, than what we have today, right? And this is why, you know, to go back to what we said, what we were talking about earlier with Dawn of Everything. I mean, that, that, that's the, that's the thing here, right? It's not as if this also requires science fiction. It requires history, quite the opposite of science fiction, something speculative out among the stars. No, just for my requires history. It's not as if, uh, cheap, convenient access to bananas all year round has been like a human right for you know since the garden of eden that's a really really fucking recent development in in human civilization right they're not even the original bananas they're not <laughs> even the original <laughs> bananas these are the bananas we're left with after we fucking destroyed the others after we lost the other stock so it's all uh, the good ones <laughs> yeah yeah oh man i i'm so i was not expecting to be like in full-on rant mode but this shit really fires me up because i think it's 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 so wrong in so many ways, but it gets mistaken for like what we believe, right? Or what we believe gets completely uh, vulgarized in in a lot of ways, right? Because it, you know, the, the, this eco modernist socialist capitalism bullshit is not though that's not my that's not my comrades that's not my ideology that's not my thinking like i think that stuff is just as wrong and you know dangerous in different ways um as capital is to be to be really frank and honest about it we i love sci-fi like everyone else i hope um i would love and in fact, hope for a world where, you know, not so much that we are all living like lords, right? But a world in which, um, the the it's it's hard to. One of my favorite science, some of my favorite science fiction stories, right, are worlds where the technology is almost indistinguishable from nature in that the advances that people have yielded have resulted in radical life extension, have resulted in um, free-forming and creative reformation of the bodies that they have. And they can assume a, a wide variety of genders we have not yet thunk of, forms that we have not yet thunk of or thought of, and Oh, I can't believe I said thunk. <laughs> I love I love that you said thunk, and I thought you were doing like a, like a real like. Damn! All right, that's the new word. <laughs> you know, um, and, that's and, on some fucking uh, sci-fi futurism <laughs> shit where where we say we say thunk now, and it means something thunk. different. It don't I'm just mean the past tense of think; it means like right. rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and um. You know, a lot of the technologies that are, are there are operating as background 
augmenter, similar in the way that we do think of and why people might like Lee might think of as electricity, for example. But these things are providing these background um, augments and humans are free to go about and do whatever it is they desire and that the real luxury of life in these in these societies. It's not that you get to consume whatever you want. And in, 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 in a lot of these stories, you don't really even get to, but that you can truly live a life where you get to actually decide what you want to do that day, decide what you want to organize your life around, you know, decide some on some grand spectacle of an adventure or some game, right? Um, you know, pursue your heart's content. And I just don't believe that if we are serious about a technological civilization where we own the technology and we are driving the development of the technology that the goal needs to be that we have every single, you know, toy that we would like and every single treat that we'd like, but that we are able to really pursue our hearts desires, right? You know, I love the letter by Roberto Anga. I've probably mentioned it 20 times on this podcast where he talks about how growing up is an act of self mutilation where you're and and living in this world is an is moving and being expected to move as if you still have those limbs um and and that the goal for creating a society that we all want to live in is one where you want you're not being forced to mutilate because you're never being forced to narrow that potential potentiality and you know whether that's through longer lives or whether that's through more fluid institutions and jobs and and relations and places where you can live, being able to swim in and out until you hone in on what it is that you want and if that changes to shift to it. But I think that this idea that what we want and need at the end of the day ends at commodities feels a lot of times like a very messy confusion of like how the commodities are one of the only ways at this point of time People can get some need that they want fulfilled or that it stands in for the need that they want fulfilled, but that, that there's still something deeper that humans want, right? That as the, all these people admit, still something deeper more than the, the, than the immediate biological needs, sense of purpose, communities, love, you know, like there's so many other ends to which we can direct technology to develop. And I think that, it's very easy to get tempted and swept up in the sci-fi visions where we have all we have truly amazing adventures and, and spectacles and lose that one of the reasons why those stories work so well is because they clear the field for drama and for and drama being conflict between people about what they want and who they are and what they want to be and who they think they are you know and those like that is the real purpose here, expanding the realm of freedom in a way in which we get to actually explore those questions and not just end at, well, I, I, have all the, I have all the material stuff, right? And that's really the highest end that I'm interested in. It's not. And I, and I just don't believe and I reject the idea that that's where, that's where a lot of people's minds go for any reason other than that's what's beaten into them. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And thinking about, you know, even like some of the arguments that have been going through with degrowth and especially in the monthly review issue that came online um, a few weeks ago, right? The thing here, and, 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 you know, Lee kind of views it as an austerity regime when really it's just like, you know, we have a very productive apparatus in front of us. And it is also an apparatus. It's an apparatus that makes great wonders and great horrors. It is not built orderly, right? And that makes it easy for someone to come in and say, if it were built rationally, or if it were run by rational people, we could, um, you know, run things better. Yeah, you know, like we are dealing with a system where we just have, like, we can talk about ecological limits without dipping into eugenics territory, and it and understanding that the impulse is there from a lot of people that that has been done for centuries and especially in the last few decades, but that we can avoid it by just simply talking about the fact that on an ideological level, on a material level, the system that we have 
is concerned with endless extraction of resources and also like instilling among people you know as anti-social as greedy selfish of a personality and worldview as possible and that we cannot have a civilization that both treats the world as like an infinite treasure and an infinite waste bin right and that that's going to require a planned downscaling of some things right and a pruning of other things an abolition of other things at the same time as us discovering there are other things like by it's the prog it's the process of withering away the thing that we have that we that other values and other desires and other needs will rise to the occasion we will discover we need if we're interested in preserving a socialist or communist society right or anything that is better you know beyond this and we're n- and i just i don't i get the impulses and I understand them, or I feel I understand them, but we'll be trying to read a lot more of them in the coming weeks and months um, for this abundance, a socialist type of abundance or socialist type of growth. But like you said, and like you said off the top, and like you were elaborating on, you know, it just, it, at the end, of the, when we trace it back, it feels like it all just comes back from the same trap that keeps getting us and derailing us from doing a deeper project um, and instead falling for the trap that well, what we need to do is really just get our hands on the wheel, you know, um, and that we can keep the ship and the engines and the hull and the crew and keep sailing forward instead of, um, you know, asking uh, real questions about, you know, what parts of this are unsustainable, what need to be gutted, what need to be never again adopted, what need to be uh, disallowed or disincentivized, and what things are we discovering that we need that we never considered before in the first place right yeah no that's 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 all exactly exactly right i mean at the end of the day it's like you know calling degrowth or luddism a form of austerity is is i mean it's 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 a joke it's it's taking it's it's taking the piss you know if i'm going to use a Mm -hmm. britishism (laughs) about Mm -hmm. it right because it's like no I'm 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 sorry, but the real austerity regime uh, is all around us and in our hearts all along, right? Like mm-hmm. you know that like like it, it goes back to what I said before as well. Of like we are so we we are confronted by so much austerity in our lives, uh, so much rejection of possibility um, and access in, uh, to in our in our lives that like all you have to hold on to are some. Are, are, are the commodities that we consume in an everyday sense, right? Like that's all you have. And so you're like, don't take away my commodities. I, 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 it's, all, it, it's all I have to my name or my, my, my commodities. An argument or a system that at once recognizes the, um, the harms and unsustainability, you know, harms across a wide spectrum of harms, social, ecological, political, economic, whatever, of... Uh, the harms of a society built around those commodities. I mean, that's exactly how Marx describes it in the first sentence of Capital Volume 1, right? Is uh, the wealth of those societies in which the capitalist mode of production prevails presents itself as an immense accumulation of commodities, its unit being a single commodity, right? That immense accumulation of commodities um, anything that 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 dares to challenge it uh, is by by the entire right wing and by uh, apparently wide swaths of the left wing. Anything that dares challenge a system in which uh, that immense accumulation of commodities has all power is repudiated. Right? Like you can't challenge the almighty commodity uh, in in this way. It's it's really quite absurd where it's like no the maybe the problem all along is actually the commodity form uh and the commodification of everything right the sense that you know a commodity being something bought sold exchanged in a market relationship something that has use value and exchange value but the exchange value um takes precedence and priority over its use value right like maybe this uh domination by commodities uh, is actually the problem, and and a system, um, a, a, an ideology, 
you know, whether it's Luddism or degrowth or whatever that tries to challenge the commodity is not a, a form of like, let me wrestle away the only thing you have left to your name and give you nothing. It's to say, let us replace that form with something with with something where co- the commodity is abolished because it's no longer needed because its purpose is not our purpose because it has no purpose to serve in that system right like that that's the thing here it's again it's not austerity is such a a a bad faith way of understanding a system that wants to abolish um the commodity form uh and and replace it with something that you know is is truly equitable truly uh serving human necessity human needs but also above and beyond that human flourishing right like the idea that um, we live in a, a system that is so riddled with austerity where all you have is the banana. Uh, that's the only commodity that you have to your name. Um, that's the real problem here, right? I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I find these things so interminable in so many ways. And and I can't believe we just, <laughs> it was absolutely not our plan to spend the whole hour talking about this. <laughs> And we are so good at doing this. Yeah. <laughs> to be very clear, we had a very other, yeah, we had a whole other plan. We were going to talk about Ben Tarnoff's amazing long read in The Guardian and Habsburg AI and synthetic data. Like we had, we had a vision, we had a plan, but um, <laughs> it was derailed by these fucking eco modernists. I was <laughs> waving a banana at the camera at Jason before the show started, and I said, "You see this." you want to take this from me yeah you want to take this from me i said yeah i do i'm gonna snatch that banana from your ass (laughs) yeah not also not a great look for like dozens hundreds i don't know if humans to be like human beings we have risen above the realm of nature that is why we are going to murder you if you take away the thing that our ancestors um were eating (laughs) our evolutionary ancestors were eating we have to Man. go back, monkey. <laughs> well, I think it needed to be said, though. It's actually a really good follow-on from our last episode on the uh, climate capital. Because, um, I mean, I, this is the other side of it, right? Where the the... <laughs> This is the topsy-turvy world we live in, Ed, where Rio Tinto is doing land acknowledgments and the leftists are uh, are, are decrying degrowth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The, the, the miners are the real leftists <laughs> and the leftists are the real extractors. What, what, what's happening? Earth from where it was mined. <laughs> Man. All right. Well, well this is a... Uh, you know, just, 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 just don't, don't give in to all the bullshit, people. It's all, it's all kayfabe all around. It's all just interminable mm-hmm. sectarian debates. And but do uh, read my my contribution to the sectarian debate in when it comes out in the nation in a few weeks. Or, that's or right. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> absolutely do that because it will make a bigger point. Which I think we did a really good job here of not just getting bogged down in the the do you get bananas and so in in global communism yeah, debate but i think that was so gives clear. a fuck <laughs> yeah but really getting to the heart of the matter which is mm. a, an understanding of like what does what does a future outside of the current uh like social relations look like like and for a lot of people it's extremely clear that they are um like shackled to bourgeois ideology capitalist modes of production the commodity form and and all that and and any future for human civilization at all uh, is going to necessitate abolishing all of that right those material conditions those ideological conditions like that's uh, that's that's really what it takes like we were talking in the last episode like what whether whether you know what is to be done whether are what are the options on the table what alternatives do we have um that's that's really the the kicker here is that like it's it requires the extremely hard work uh, and and big and big task of uh, abolishing 
um, capitalist social relations. I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry to be the one to say it, but that, that's what's needed. That's the necessity here. You can't just be a better manager um, of the machine. Sometimes you got to actually smash uh, those machines and in their place build uh, radically different ones. With that, um, I will say, hello, comrades. It's episode 271 of This Machine Kills. <laughs> I'm Jathan, joined by Ed, and producer Jeremy ain't here, which is why I finally did it. Cold open? Uh, hell no. I'm giving you the, the, the introduction at the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's good. <laughs> uh, and with that, thank you all for listening. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> subscribing. Uh, your support is appreciated as always. And until next time, later. Adios. Everybody in the club go to work. Tight jeans, pop shirt, short skirts. I'm gonna rock to the beat till it hurt. I'm gonna drop it on the street, yeah, you heard. Haters, I flip the bird. Got guns, so what? I ain't scared. I came to boogie and swerve. Hey, line folk, that's my word. Yeah, yeah, yeah.